the Ticat Audio Network. This is Speaking with the Enemy. Oh, it's a big one on Friday. The Ticats in Toronto to take on the Argonauts. A lot of East Division playoff implications on the line and discuss that as we're speaking with the enemy, Mike Hogan. He's not my enemy. He's my friend, uh, but he, he does work for the enemy. And uh, I mean, it, it's been uh, it's been an interesting week. We had our, our caretaker, Bob Young, kind of shout out your social media team for some good tweets, uh, you know. Uh, but I do want to start with uh, with Angelo Mosca because I, yeah. as as passionate as you are about the Argos, I know he had a special place in, in your in your heart. Oh my God, I loved Angie. Uh, how could you not? Uh, I, I mean, I'm I'm somebody who appreciates the history of the league and the history of the rivalry and, uh, and of the Ticats and swear, you know, Angelo Mosca is Hamilton and the Ticats to me. Um, spectacularly nice man, was always kind to me, and uh, I always look forward to our conversations before the game. Like, I'd get there, you know me, I'm really early, I get there three or four hours before a game, and at Old Ivor Wynn, uh, I can never remember which was north, because it's turned around. <laughs> yeah. Um, in, the, in the Argos side, sort of where the Argos and the Ticats kind of shared that corner of the, of the end zone. Angie would usually sit there and would just get caught up for 15 or 20 minutes every time. And there were two Argos, and this sums up Angelo and the rivalry perfectly. There were two Argos, both former Ticats as well, who would always, always, always go up and sort of kiss the ring of Angelo Mosca. And you can th- if you think about it, it'll be easy. It was Adriano Belli and Mike O'Shea, guys who played exactly the same way that Angie did, who appreciated the history of the sport the way that Angie did, and just laid everything out on the field. Um, you know, watching, uh, I watched one preseason game that the Argos weren't involved with, and I went to, to, to Hamilton to watch it, and I ended up sitting next to Angie up in the press box. And the stories he was telling me, it's just a, a day I'll never forget. So, um, the last time I saw him wasn't easy because we all know what, what Alzheimer's can do to people. And, and unfortunately it happened to my hand. So that was tough to see, but man, when I think of, of the history of football in Hamilton, without question, one name comes to the forefront first. And, and, you know, even as an Argo fan, and I think this may surprise people as well. My favorite football picture of any level is Angie's last game at Ivor Wynn when he's looking up at the fans and there's a small press box in the stadium and it's a black and white picture and he's got the cup over his head. It is such an iconic photo. And I just, you know, I, I, I we're all going to miss him. I haven't seen him obviously in the last three or four years of his life, but uh, man, he's going to be missed on the Hamilton football scene. Just love the guy to death. Well said. Um, all right. Let's talk about this game on Friday. I got to ask because if Lewis Ward doesn't have the worst game of his life, if, if Camacho doesn't, you know, butcher a kick with no time left if the Ticats don't miss an extra point if if that miracle kick into the wind doesn't hit I mean are are the Argos for real Mike are they for real what's what's the line that Bill Parcells had that the only part of the sports section that doesn't lie is the standings Right, they are they are in first place. They are in first place. But does does I mean it, it increases? I'm not, not the pressure, but I mean, this this is obviously a huge game. There's there's sure. no way to kind of understate that. But I mean, do do the Argos kind of need a win to to not even convince the rest of the league, but even convince themselves that that they're good enough? I, th- I think what the team needs to do is just put four quarters together. 
Um, like we saw last game with the miracle kick that Beatty had, um, the, what you know may be overlooked is McClub Ethel Thompson went off for over 300 yards passing in the second half. Yeah. Um, you know, but where was that in the first half? People are overlooking in Ottawa, you know, did the Argos scrape one out? Sure, absolutely. But McClub Bethel Thompson in the fourth quarter was 10 of 12 for 88 yards, a touchdown and a two-point conversion. Um, in the second half after, you know, by their own standards, not a great first half. Here's a stat that's kind of mind-boggling. In the second half against Ottawa, the Argos defense had more sacks than Ottawa completed passes. They had three sacks. Duck Hodges, you know, the media darling that he is and, and may be eventually, completed two passes in the second half. Um, Ottawa's total yards in the total offensive yards in the fourth quarter was minus seven. So when people are looking at the struggles that the Argos had offensively for three quarters, nobody's talking about the defense and how good the defense is. Uh, if, the, if that defense is just even a mediocre defense, then they don't win. But the Argos are able somehow to be able to pick that up. One thing that's not been talked about as, as well, when people have talked about the kicking struggles of the opponents, do you not think that having Sean Oakman in the middle of the line at six foot nine and he's able to basically tie his shoes without bending over his arms along, do you think that doesn't have an effect on a kicker? Honestly, um, nobody's talking. About it. I, I think that's got to play into a little bit because Sean Oakman is almost blocking a punt or a field goal attempt just by doing that. Yeah. I mean, right? it's, 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 yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it's a great point. And, and obviously my phrasing was, uh, was a little in jest there on, I, I know. on, on I, I whether know. or not, but again, yeah, a hundred percent. And, and I mean, the fact is they're, they're, they're six and oh, they're five and oh at home. They're, they're, they're winning football games. They're, you know, they're making that a very tough place to play. And, it, they want this East final. They want to be able to host the East final, regardless oh, of how many so Ticats. And so does Montreal. Yeah. No question. And it, regardless of how many. Yeah, go ahead. Here, here's, here's what all three teams want, right? If, if you're Hamilton, you want to win the East. As much as you want the bye week, you want to see the Argos and Montreal just knock the crap out of one another. We're in the same way. How physical would a game between Montreal and Hamilton be in a, in a playoff game? Do you think the Argos wouldn't like to be sitting back on? Okay, guys. I mean, that to me, that's the biggest part is the bye week because any one of these three teams is capable of beating the other on any given Sunday, so to speak. And I think that there are positives and negatives for each team in each matchup with each team, right? You know, the Argos had historically this season problems stopping the run. Think we want stand back in the first round, right? And they're – so there, there, there are things that kind of work in each team's favor against another team. So um, I really think that whoever gets that first round by has a huge advantage in trying to get to the break. That, that's such a great point because, I mean, well, we have to look back at 2015, the last time we saw three East teams actually in the playoffs. But three East teams, I mean, all in, you know, in the hunt for, for – in the hunt. I mean, that's, that's huge. And, and such a great point that I think the, I think the bye week has never been more important than like you said, when any team can beat any team. Want to get to Dinwiddie for a second, because the expectations coming into the season for the Argos, they did have a lot of free agents. They did bring in a lot of names, but has he succeeded expectations for what you think they were set for, for him as a first year head coach in the CFL? I think he's meeting in a lot of uh, areas and, and exceeding in others. Um, you know, when, when Mike Clemens hired him, he looked at 
you know, sort of the type A football personality that is Ryan Diddy, Dinwiddie, and 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 the uh, the way that he approaches the game, the aggressiveness, um, and just his mindset, and love that, and admit it. Okay, he's going to make some mistakes along the way because he's a first year head coach. And has Dinwiddie make some mistakes? Sure, absolutely. And have those lessons been learned? Uh, you would hope so, uh, to the point where you know he talked about after the the timeout. Um, not realizing that the BC had a timeout. Now on his call sheet, he's got that there. So, you know, lesson learned. Okay, now all I've got to do if there's a timeout, scratch that off, and now I know they've got one left or none left. So, uh, lessons learned. Um, so I think that in that aspect, he's doing what was expected. He's he's making some mistakes. Fortunately, in the last two games, it didn't cost the Argos a win, uh, and they still have that slight advantage right now. Uh, over Hamilton, and and the best thing from an Argo perspective is destiny is in the Argos' hands. Doesn't matter what Hamilton does, doesn't matter what Montreal does. From the Argo perspective, we win this game on Friday night, we win the East, period. So that's in a pretty good position, and after the two years that Argo fans have had to go through prior to this season, uh, just being in the playoffs is great. Having this opportunity to clinch home field would be just I, I have a feeling uh, like Curly Gittens Jr. Is, is probably enemy number one here after what he did at uh, Tim Hortons Fields on uh, Thanksgiving, making some incredible catches. But, I mean, that, that, that right side of the field with Brissett, with Gittens Jr., I mean, good, two really good Canadian depths and maybe a bit of a surprise uh, receivers. But what have you seen from them, and, and how has that allowed Dinwiddie, McLeod, Bethel Thompson to kind of spread the field a little bit better, having confidence in, in just about anybody on the field? Yeah, they picked apart that field side uh, against Hamilton, and, and, and Curley was certainly the beneficiary of that on, on the Thanksgiving Day game. Uh, Curley has, has turned into the guy that, you know, the organization thought he could be when he played at Laurier. And I know it's a totally different level, but if you go back and you look at Curley Jr. play there, he was a highlight reel every week. Um, you know, how, how often does a, a receiver win uh, a league MVP? Uh, set the the youth sports record was 75 catches in one year. It was all conference four years in a row, all Canadian twice. Like he he's got everything you want. And the one thing that goes uh, under the radar a little bit is how good a blocker he is. Um, so there are times now where you know they may have hesitated earlier in the season to bring him in from Z and bring him closer to the box, but now they can flip that around too, depending on matchups. So with him, and you mentioned Brissett with big catch, and and Breskison is back now uh, to to play there, and he was one of the one of the main free agent acquisitions, uh, but he was hurt in the second game of the season in Winnipeg. Just got back last week, uh, and also on that field side, you've got uh, Ricky Collins Jr. So uh, there's there's some really good receivers over there, and then on the other side, you know, uh, depending on his health, uh, you know, Tavares Daniels is back for sure, but uh, Eric Rogers is getting close. We'll see if he's ready to go on Friday. So it's a really good receiving core. And oh yeah, we just added Josh Hoff, uh, who was on pace for what would have been a thousand yard season in an 18 game schedule. So yeah, it's uh, it's a really good crew, and with guys who have been in those supporting roles like Drez Anderson, who had a nice game last week, and uh, Damian Jean Pierre, it's a really deep, talented group. Um, is the importance of, I mean, this game, it's obviously very, very important no matter what, but I mean, is it amped up even more by the quick turnaround to host Edmonton? I mean, four days later, I, cause like I, it, if they lose this game, I mean, you got to get up for Edmonton, right. And then you got to be able, so, I mean, that's, that's a tough test for a coaching staff to really put these, try to two days together uh, with two games in, in five days. 
It, it, it is a challenge to the coaching staff, but at the same time, what, what I find remarkable uh, about, and the, the other challenge is the Argos haven't seen the Alts all year. It's the only team we haven't played this year, so that, that adds to it. There's no old film to go back and take a look at. But we're talking about this. Oh, my God, how can they possibly do this? How can they play on a Friday and a Tuesday? Days off. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, play Tuesday. NFL games every week. Play Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. There's a game on Thursday. It's exactly the same thing that the NFL does every week. And nobody talks about that. So it's like, is, is, it, is it ideal? No. And I, you know, even when I was back in my radio days, uh, I always found and, and talked about uh, how sloppy at times the games on Thursday could be and how from, even though they may have been entertaining, just, just they weren't as crisp and as good as the Sunday to Sunday guys because they, have, they had, you know, very little rest. For a visiting team, it's, it's, it's day off travel, day off play. Yeah. Um, so that can be tough. So, uh it's it, it, it is what it is, but I mean it's not nothing that guys who have played in the NFL and have played on a Thursday night haven't gone through before. All right, uh, the classic question before we let you go: The Argos will win this game on Friday if blank. Finish that sentence. I, every time we've done this, it's been big plays. Most big plays win, and that's the way it's gone. Uh, every game this year, the more big plays have won the game, and, and it's probably going to come down to that turnovers and big plays. Um, if, if, if Toronto can contain Hamilton's running game, no matter who's in the backfield, I think that goes a long way, uh, toward that. And same thing, um, you know, we'll find out tomorrow if DJ Foster's back or not, but uh, with the, the possibility of DJ and AJ who led in the backfield, um, you know, if they can establish the run as well, uh, that bodes, bodes well as well. But I still think it's most big plays offensively, defensively, special teams. To me, those 30-plus yard plays on Friday night are going to be the backbreakers. It'll be the fourth time these teams see each other, and, uh, you know, they're both hoping to see each other a fifth time uh, in a few weeks. Where that game will be played uh, will be a big question as well. Hoagie, always love catching up with you. Have a great call on Friday. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Even though you still consider me your enemy. <laughs> no, Hoagie, thanks for doing this. This has been Speaking with the Enemy with my friend, Mike Hogan. Join us on Friday when the Ticats travel to Toronto to take on the Argos. Speaking with the Enemy. Dropping twice weekly before every Ticats game. Like and subscribe to get inside the enemy's head.